table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, we long to hear those words spoken to us this morning. To hear the words of your peace sending us in the knowledge and confidence that we are redeemed, that we are forgiven. And so we ask that as we come to this story, as we come to this event, that you would help us to hear your voice. We know that these are more than words on a page. We know that these are gifts from you, and through these gifts you speak to us. Let us hear your voice this morning. Open our ears. Open our hearts and may we be transformed by what we receive. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. One of the great joys of being a dad is being welcomed home. Especially when your kids are really young. And so our youngest, Sam, uh, is at the stage that when I come home at the end of the day and I open the door, I hear... Daddy! And, and I see this tiny human being flying towards me and he buries himself in my legs and it's great, it feels great. Now where does that affection come from? What creates that affection that my Sam has for me? There's a lot of things that go into that, but I'm convinced that primarily what creates that affection is what happens next in the sequence. So I, he grabs me by the legs, I pick him up, and he looks me in the face and he says, ball, 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 
And what he wants is he wants me to put him in a chair and for me to sit on the couch and to take a blue rubber ball and bounce it to him. That's the ground of Sam's affection for me. In Luke chapter 7, we have a story of profound affection. An affection that is much more profound even than the affection of my son for me. So we're at another dinner party with Jesus. This is a common thing for him. We joined him at a dinner party last week as well. And I want you to kind of see this scene. There would have been a table low to the ground in the middle of this room. And the invited guest to this dinner party would have been laying. They would have lain on their elbow and eaten with their free hand. And their bare feet would have been pointed to, towards the external walls. And all along those walls would have been lined other people, people who weren't invited to the party. Homes were much more open in the ancient world than they are now, and so when there was an event like this, people would show up to observe the dinner. And they would show up in, sometimes to honor the, the host, to honor the guest, and sometimes even to make requests of the host or the guest. But they... These commoners would have been standing around the edge of the room, on the walls around this table. And so see this woman as she steps from the shadows. And she is weeping. And she is a woman with a bad reputation. She's a prostitute. And she steps to where she shouldn't step. She walks towards the feet of Jesus. And she's weeping and she lets her hair down. Which was not done in polite public society, if you know what I'm saying. She lets her hair down and she is weeping and she kneels down and she wipes off the debris of the day that's mixed with her tears on the feet of Jesus. And she takes, most likely from around her neck, a delicate piece of pottery. And in that delicate piece of pottery was a very expensive perfume. And she would break open the top because that was the only way to open it. She would have broken open the top. She pours out this expensive perfume on the dirty feet of this man sitting at this table. Where does that affection come from? It's more than affection, right? Jesus says, this woman, she has loved much. Where does that kind of love come from? What creates that? I think this is one of those stories that even if you don't accept the Bible as true, if you don't accept that the Bible has authority, if you're not a Christian, even if you are outside of the Christian faith, I think this story for most of us, holds a fascination. Why would this woman act this way? Where does this love come from? I want to come with that fascination, with that question to this text. What creates this kind of love? And what we'll see in this text is that Jesus explains this love with economics. He tells an economic story. He says that this kind of love is created by debt. 
And so as we look at his words here, we'll see that a love for Jesus comes from both being in debt and from being debt free. First of all, a love for Jesus comes from a knowledge that we are in debt. For us, it is odd, it is strange that Jesus, in this context, talks about economics, tells the story about debt. That is strange for us, but for the people sitting around this table, it would not have been strange. This would have made sense to them, because they were steeped in the Old Testament Scriptures. And so they would have made the connection between debt and sin. Sinners were debtors. So to sin is to reject God and His ways, His desires for us. And to sin against God is to open up a debt. It is to create a deficit. It is to mandate a payment of judgment. The people at this table would have understood that. And so they would have seen this woman as a debtor. They knew her reputation. They knew her lifestyle. And they would have known her to be a great sinner and therefore deeply in debt to God. What's surprising to them is that before Jesus tells this parable, he does not seem aware of her indebtedness. Right? Doesn't Simon think to himself in verse 39, what is he thinking? Does he not know how great a sinner this woman is? Why would he let her touch him? And so when Jesus speaks this parable, he's responding to that concern. So notice, and this is important, in telling this parable, the surprising part of this parable isn't indebtedness. It is not that sin creates a debt. The point of this parable is Jesus is saying, I know this woman is in debt. This woman knows that she is in debt. And here's the surprise. That's why she loves me. She loves me because she knows that she has a debt that she cannot pay. And in doing this, Jesus reverses the question. And he's looking at Simon, he's looking at this table of people who look at him with suspicion. And he says, I know her debt. She knows her debt. Do you know your debt? You see, Simon would have belonged to a group of people who knew that they had a debt, but they thought they could manage the debt. They thought by, by their ethnic status, by their adherence to tradition, by their moral effort, they could manage the debt of their sin. And Jesus is revealing to them, you have no idea how deep your debt is. If you think you can manage your debt, you have no idea how deep your debt is. So this scene is ultimately about a contrast. And it's not a contrast between those who owe a little and those who owe a lot. This scene is a contrast between those who know the enormity of their debt and those who don't. 
It is a contrast between those who think they can manage their debts and those who declare bankruptcy. I have a cousin who's a bankruptcy lawyer. Don't hold it against him. Uh, but he, uh, he says that when people come into his office, even though he is a bankruptcy lawyer, they are looking for any other option other than declaring bankruptcy. That the best thing they could do to avoid disastrous consequences is to declare bankruptcy, but they want an option. They are looking for anything that will keep them from that label. We understand that, right? I don't, I don't think there's a person in this room who would be excited about saying, I am bankrupt. <laughs> if we would love Jesus, there is no option. If we would love Jesus, we must declare spiritual and moral bankruptcy. You see, Jesus is not a financial advisor who helps you move a little money around to get you out of trouble. He is a judge before whom you stand and say, I have nothing to pay. There is nothing that I can do to deal with the debt of sin. I am bankrupt. Now, maybe you're thinking at this point, if that's what it means to love Jesus, then no thank you. Say that I am bankrupt, no thank you. And I understand that objection, I understand that concern, but I want to ask you to stay with me for a moment. Because that's not all that it means to love Jesus. To love Jesus, yes, we need to know how deeply we are in debt. That we all, because of sin, have over us a bankruptcy that we can't deal with, that we cannot manage. But more than that, to love Jesus is to know not only that we are in debt, but that in Him we are debt-free. You see, if we're going to grasp and share the love that this woman had for Jesus... We have to not only see her tears, but we have to see where they fell. Where did her tears fall? This woman, she knew her debt, but even more than that, she knew where to take her debt. You've got to understand what an incredibly vulnerable position she has put herself in. She has put herself in an enormous amount of danger. She is bowing, touching the feet of a man with her hair down, weeping, taking the most precious thing she had. And understand that this ointment was not only a thing of value, it was a thing of power. In this society, what power would this woman have? One thing and one thing only, the ability to attract a man. And she takes part of that power, that scent, and she pours it out on the feet of Jesus. And in this moment, she is incredibly vulnerable. 
She is frankly, by Old Testament law, asking herself to be stoned. She comes and she takes the risk of an even greater disgrace than she has already known in her life. Why? Why does she take that risk? Because she trusts that Jesus will not increase her shame, but will cover it. She kneels before Jesus exposed. Exposed socially, spiritually, and even physically. Why? Because she believes that Jesus can cover her, can be a refuge for her. Now notice the contrast once again to Simon. What does Simon see in Jesus? A failed prophet, right? You see, it seems that Simon has invited Jesus over because he's seen what Jesus has done, he's heard what he said, and he thinks, maybe this man has a message of God for me and for his people. And so I'm interested in that. I want to check him out. I want to test him. I want to see if he is a prophet sent from God. And so he invites him over to dinner, and he's disappointed. He is disappointed because this man, uh, whom he hoped was a prophet sent from God, didn't have the moral and spiritual insight to know how deep a sinner was defiling him by her touch. Simon is disappointed as he looks at Jesus Why? Because he's looking for a prophet. He's looking for someone to expose sin. The woman is looking for someone not to just expose sin, but to cover it. You see, the difference between Simon and the woman is that in Jesus, Simon is looking for someone to confront and to judge And what the woman finds is someone who forgives. She found more than a prophet. She found a priest. One who leads sinners into the presence of God. She found more than a priest. She found the very presence and voice of God. The very presence and voice of God in the flesh saying to her, You are worthy. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are rescued. And so in the end, while Simon evaluates, this woman worships. She loves much because she sees, she hears, and she touches the forgiveness of of her unpayable debt in Jesus Christ. We will share her love when we come to Jesus and we find more than a prophet. We find more than someone who exposes our sin. We find someone who covers it, who forgives it, who cleanses it. We will love Jesus when we come to Him as this woman did finding in Him more than a prophet, but finding in Him a priest. One who leads sinners into the presence of God and finding in Him more than a priest, one who is the very presence and voice of God saying to us, 
You are worthy. You are cleansed. Your unpayable debt is forgiven. You are mine. You are rescued. You know, when you're watching a sporting event on television, you you have television commentators, and the job of these sports commentators is to critically evaluate and explain what's happening on the field or the pitch or the court or whatever sport you're watching. But in almost every sporting event, there's a moment when something spectacular occurs. And in that moment, these commentators drop their critical distance. And they join the rest of us shouting, right? I can't believe that just happened! That's what this text wants to do with us. This text wants to move us from evaluation to worship. It wants to move us from a critical distance to the nearness of adoring the one who can say to us, you are forgiven. You are cleansed. Your unpayable debt is gone. This is not to say that critical questions are unimportant to the Christian faith. They certainly are. And Centerpoint is a place where we welcome hard questions. We want to wrestle with difficult questions. But if you would love Jesus, there must be a moment when the critical apparatus drops away and you stand in awe of the One who forgives. And you stand in awe of Him not only because of what He said, Because understand that the reason that Jesus could declare forgiveness is because He earned forgiveness. Debt always, always, always comes with a cost. Either the one in debt pays or the lender pays. Somebody pays when there is a debt. Someone absorbs the cost and Jesus, as He hung on the cross, absorbed the cost of our sin in His body. He took our debt and He put it on Himself so that He could say to us, you are cleansed, you are forgiven, you are worthy, you are welcomed to God and to the life that is found in Him. Will you evaluate Or will you worship? As you consider Jesus, will you evaluate? Or will you worship? And maybe you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you think, I've already done it. This this sermon is about me. It's about all those pagan unbelievers out there. No, 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 no. This is where we must return again and again because this is where we learn love. This is where we learn to love not only our Savior and our King. It is where we learn to love each other. It's where we learn to love our neighbors as ourselves. It is in the dual reality that we are bankrupt, but in Jesus we are forgiven. It is in the dual reality that we are filthy because of sin, but in Jesus we are cleansed. That is the only place that can dismantle your anger and your fear and your self-centeredness. 
and lead you to the kind of love that Jesus calls you to. There's a photograph that sits on my dresser in my bedroom. And this photograph was taken by a friend of mine named Tim. And Tim likes to wander around rural places and find old abandoned farms and houses and to take photographs of what he finds. And one time while he was out, he found an old ledger book that someone had used for their business. And he took a photograph of it, and this is what sits on my dresser. You can see the pages of this ledger book, and they are faded, and they're crumbling. And you see there all of these numbers scrawled in the different columns of the ledger book. But then right along the right side of the page, you see a word written again and again in an old cursive script, and it is the word settled. 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 We will learn to love Christ. We will learn to love His people. We will learn to love our neighbors when we see our lives on that page. When the numbers tell the story of our bankruptcy, that Jesus, with His own blood, writes a different word. Settled. 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 Let's pray.